You are listening to The Partner Podcast, relevant information to enhance the careers and improve the lives of partner-level attorneys. Produced by The Attorney Search Group, we grow law firms and accelerate attorney careers. Visit us on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. Marla Sofer is the Vice President of Strategic Partnerships at GemStep, a B2B2C digital advice platform focused on helping Americans invest to achieve their financial goals. Before diving into fintech in 2015, Marla led institutional partnerships at BlackRock and J.P. Morgan, quantified in billions of dollars. She's been a champion of gender diversity, founded two employee women's networks, and served as a nonprofit leader dedicated to social justice. So on our show today, we have Marla Sofer, who's going to talk about lessons learned negotiating billions between strategic partners. And Marla, thanks for joining me on the podcast show today. You're very welcome. I'm glad to be here. Yes. So you've got an interesting background, and I think you've got a lot of credibility, especially with this audience. But your background in negotiation didn't just begin in business. Tell me, really, how did you begin your career journey? Sure. So I actually did a semester program in college where I studied peace and conflict resolution in the Middle East. Um, It started at American University. And then we spent some time in Israel, uh, Palestinian territories, Egypt, and met with a host of non-governmental organizations and politicians and nonprofit organizations and learned a lot of the basics of mediation, negotiation, communication. And the problems we were dealing with there were intense. (laughs) There was two, two sides, two factions that had incredible emotional connection to their cause and to, to what it is they were looking to achieve. And the tenants that we learned in that program have really carried me through everything that I needed in terms of negotiation from there on. So it was not in a business context. It was definitely in a diplomatic context. But I I found that the practices that we learned and the focus on what it needs, what's needed to actually listen to each side, understand what's truly important, and then push on was was critical to kind of take me from there. Well, that, so I started off in that program. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say that's interesting. And, and what you learned, the negative consequences could be much more severe than what the traditional business person or attorney has to deal with in their negotiations. Absolutely. Uh, I think the, the consequences are extremely severe. I don't, I don't want to uh, minimize any consequences of bad contract negotiation. Those could be pretty severe as well. But yeah, when you're talking here about people's livelihoods and their quality of life and the things that are most important to them, yeah, there's a different level of weight. But the skill set in terms of understanding what it takes to actually encourage communication and try to create an open mindset to listen to what's most important and then find a way to craft a deal was, was common. Well, that's interesting. So tell me, what were some of the highlights of that experience for you? If you could kind of synthesize all of that into the top attributes of somebody that's an effective negotiator or the top skills that can really allow people to do what you mentioned, to open up and and to find that path to to mutual agreement. 
what would those top skills or attributes be in somebody that's involved in a negotiation? Sure. So first off is listening. And I would say it's, it's very active listening because you're really listening to understand the priority factors for both sides. So I think that what I learned there, it's very, very important to not only understand the other side, but also check in with yourself and understand what is most important to you or your side and make sure that you maintain focus on on those issues. What are the really true pivot points that, that could make the deal go forward or sour? I think the second thing is really to empathize, to have a mindset where you're actually putting yourself in the other in the other's shoes to understand what it is that they're looking to achieve, what's their end goal as as a result of this negotiation, and make sure that other side feels understood. Sometimes it's very important, not only that they get you get a sense that they feel understood, but they can actually play back and check that they they are positioning the opposite side accurately. And I think it's helpful and it's a it's a good practice in any sort of negotiation to actually check in and do that, to have the other side play back what, what they thought they heard and make sure that it reflects what it is that, that was really was really conveyed. And then to respect those differences. So so and then me, I would also say oh, let me let me ask you about that for a second. Yeah. Give me an example sure. of that. What do you mean like in a typical negotiation, something you've done back there or in business uh, how would somebody do that? How would they play that back to make sure that, that they understand everything? So I actually, I consider myself a very direct communicator. And I take it for granted and have now learned after many years that not everyone has a, a common communication style. So what they think they said might not have come across in a way and not be understood in the way they said it. So when I think it's actually a good idea in negotiations, and this is true in, in any in any forum, frankly, in personal negotiations as well as business, that you have a discussion about what it is that you're trying to achieve here. And a lot of times in contract negotiations, there's a lot of speculation. Why do we think they put this term in here? And what do we think they're trying to aim? And I think it's actually a good idea to ask, to ask the question, <laughs> to mm. say, what is it you're trying to achieve here, as opposed to speculate. Right. Um, and sometimes that will bring out the story. Well, here's what's going on in our business. And these are the things that are most critical to us. Or here's the stage of maturity that we're in and what we're looking to, to achieve this year. And I think that having that very direct communication and bringing that out and then having the other side play back and say, okay. I heard you. What I heard you say is that this is what you're trying to achieve. And then you can push forward and say, look, here's how we can achieve that. And it might not be the model that you initially structured because maybe that doesn't work for both sides. But I think you can achieve it in this different model. And that, I think, has been incredibly helpful when you're, when you're talking about especially very big, very complex deals, when you're really trying to cut to the heart of it and also realize that especially where there's complexity, it takes time. The negotiations always take significant time. And it's important to spend the time having those dialogues back and forth and frankly speaking to maybe more than one person to understand what's really going on and then recognizing small steps you can take. So once you have kind of a small breakthrough and get alignment on one issue, that's great. That's something to be celebrated. And then you move on to the next one. And then at the end, you actually can... uh, can craft something quite quite big. You know, it's interesting. Everything you say, I'm thinking in terms of how it can relate to 
attorneys that are negotiating on behalf of their clients. I'm thinking in terms of attorneys that are moving from firm A to firm B, negotiating their compensation. And I'm even thinking about how what you're talking about deals with me and my seven-year-old daughter. And when, when she wants something or with my, with my wife with, on, the, on the personal family level, it sounds like this is a universal concept that can be applied in all facets of finding that mutual satisfaction of needs between multiple parties. Is that an accurate assessment from your experience? Absolutely. I think, uh, and in a lot of the books around negotiation and, and cutting to deals, I think that those rules are true, that negotiation is much more about communication and active listening, modeling, making sure that you're actually understanding what's, what, what are the key factors that are important to the other side. And yes, I definitely use the same tactics. I've got a uh, 13-year-old and a 12-year-old. <laughs> and it's very important to understand what it is that, that they're really looking to achieve because sometimes the other side, or, or even you know me myself, I, I sometimes have issues where I think I'm being articulate and conveying my, my position accurately, but it's not coming across in the right way. So checking into that is really important. And I think that where you have desire on both ends to make sure that that you're understanding what's happening. And, and when you're doing business deals, there there's generally a desire. That's what puts you there in the first place. Mm-hmm. Then taking that time to make sure you have the communication right is is really important. So so let me ask you this kind of a little bit more nuanced. Let's talk about the concept of emotion that I've noticed that partners they like to think of themselves as being dispassionate and robotic in their decision-making, but at the end of the day, we're all human beings. I'll even tell them if they're, when I'm working with a partner about moving, I'll say, the decision you make will be an emotional decision. You just can't get out of that. It will be emotional. You want to make sure that all the variables line up so that you can be safe in that decision and experience the joy and the excitement of making that move. When you're dealing with negotiations, sometimes the emotions aren't necessarily building rapport and bringing the walls down. How have you experienced dealing with emotions that could be polarizing in a negotiation? How have you experienced that? And what recommendations would you give related to that issue? I couldn't agree with you more. And um, in, even in, in small type deal settings, there, there's generally emotion that is underlying a lot of the key factors and creating polarization. So I think uh, recognizing it and also trying to, that, that's, I think, very much part of the empathy and that practice that has to happen of recognizing, okay, this is, this is this person, this other side, let's say, has a, a very strong emotion toward this and feels some level of passion to get this end goal that they're looking for, or maybe, be, or maybe rejecting that end goal. Mm. And I think that in my experience with lawyers, I try very, very much to build relationship. And sometimes I have to be very verbal about, hey, look, not looking for this to be a transactional thing in in my relationship with a lawyer. I very much want to get to know them and understand what's important to them. It is very challenging at times because I think they're looking at their role and taking it so seriously. But I tell them I don't only want to know what their suggestion is objectively knowing regulation and and giving me guidance based on all of their experience. 
but I also want their subjective opinion. And I think that's really hard for lawyers because I think it's actually tapping into that. They, there is obviously people have an rem- emotional reaction mm. to when they're, when they're working on a deal, any sort of deal. And I think lawyers have probably been very well trained to tamp that down and be objective, as objective as possible. Right. And I actually think that, and I talk to women a lot about this, that when you're dealing with something very important or making a very important decision, there's a sentiment that you get that doesn't come from the brain. It comes generally from, from the pit of the stomach. You just mm-hmm. You just get a feeling about it. And that, I think... You can call it intuition. You can call it emotion. It's, it's a different sort of response. And I actually think there's value in that. I think there's value in that physiological feeling that people get about something. It's important to tune into it. You can choose whether to listen to it or not and actually give it, give it value. But I do think it's important to recognize it and understand the emotion, understand that it's not all in the brain. And understand that for the the other end, for the other people you're working with, it's not all in the brain. And I can only imagine when you're dealing with recruiting, it's not only emotion. There's a lot of excitement and people get very excited. And sometimes they're kind of falling over each other, like trying to to get something done and so excited um, to bring someone in or whatever it is. And I often think that that might put on some blinders because that excitement makes them, it's so excited about what they perceive the outcome is going to be that they don't actually check in and say and see what's actually happening what's That's really right. going on and what are they really hearing and i think that that happens true true for recruiting and true in any other in any other circumstance well that's interesting that people the judgment does get impacted by the emotion in all sorts of different ways and so so let me ask you this let's say that uh, an attorney is dealing with somebody who might be hostile they're on the other side of the table, whether it's negotiation or even just a deposition or something like that. And they need to bring some sort of balance back to the equation. How does one grow in their empathy and how do they deal with emotions on the other side that aren't productive? Yeah. So the empathy is so important. And I think there are a lot of great tips to becoming more empathetic with the other side. So one is actually modeling what that person is doing back to them and uh, showing them that this is how they're behaving in the way, or it's modeling it in a way that lets them see, hey, I see how you're behaving and it's it's not productive. And it doesn't have to call them out or be embarrassing, but it can just be kind of a a very nuanced check-in to say, hey, look, here's what I'm saying in terms of your behavior. It's not productive. Let's kind of take this into a, a more productive frame of discussion and negotiation so that we can achieve an end goal here. So modeling, I think, is really important. There's other ways of showing empathy just in terms of pausing at the right time. So mm-hmm. these are all kind of truly communication tactics that work well in any of these situations. And I also think Checking back in and restating. Again, it's really important to reflect back. Here's what I heard you say. Is this what you really meant to say? And here's also, it's important to reflect back sometimes, not only the words, Mm. but your tone makes me feel that you feel this way about this. And, And I think reflecting that back to somebody is showing them not only what you heard verbally, but what you heard through their... Um, nonverbal art communication. Um, it sounded like you were kind of upset by this. Is this why you are upset? Because I want to make sure I understand that. So 
So I think playing those things back and making sure you're really getting to the heart of what's dri- what's driving that kind of difficult uh, communication on the other side, or right. hey, you're being kind of standoffish about this negotiation. Is this something you really want? Is this something you really want to achieve or not? So I think checking into what you're actually hearing, playing it back, making sure that they they have an opportunity to respond, to say actually sorry, I was just having a bad morning (laughs) or whatever it is. Um, It could be something that had nothing to do with the negotiation and it could be something that did, but maybe they were uncomfortable raising it. Maybe they didn't know how to raise it. There's so many factors that that could go into that. So it's important to play it back. You know, that reminds me of a concept I heard from Uh, an author and a speaker at a conference I went to, Dr. Marshall Rosenberg. Are you familiar with him by any chance? No. He he came up with a concept called nonviolent communication, NVC. And he said that, and he does consulting on building conflict resolution strategies between uh, different parties. And and the the thing he mentioned is that many times it's not the issues, it's the emotions. And if you can identify Mm -hmm. the emotion and deal with that, then you can eventually get to the point of dealing with the issue. And, and an interesting thing happened to me probably about three or four years ago. I had a stalker. This guy was following me online and saying that I was writing things about him. And then one day he called me, Marla, he called me at my office and it freaked me out. And he was yelling at me. And then he said, he said, I might just come to Washington and take care of you. Because he was thinking I was writing about him. It's freaky, right? Oh my goodness. And he was so wow. angry. Wow, yeah. And I, and, I said, and I told him, I said, his name was Michael or, or Mike or whatever. I said, Mike, it sounds like you're really angry. That's all I said. And he said, you're darn right I'm angry. And then he went into it. He'd been, uh, something happened at a previous workplace. And then I said, you know, I'd be angry if that happened to me also. And he settled down. He says, well, maybe you're not writing about me. And that kind of quelled that whole issue and he went away. And I thought it was just that empathy, being able to pinpoint that emotion and show it to him and say, I know you're angry. Yeah, I, I can see how you're angry. I can understand that. And that kind of resolved that issue. And I, and I see that what you, mentioned, what you mentioned, that just reminded me of that story of how powerful that can be when you identify that emotion and you deal with the emotion. Now we can really talk about what we have on the table that we really need to discuss. So I think the concepts that you have, I, I can see it apply universally to the people listening to this podcast that are dealing, trying to do deals and things like that even career negotiation. And let's talk, kind of go down a path of guidance that you can offer to women in the workforce, in the legal world that are looking to negotiate for themselves in their career. How might they take some of your concepts and approach asking for what they want in their careers? Sure. So I recently did a talk where I thought of a great way to remember this, how, how you can actually make an ask and make sure that you are positioned for success. And I thought of four Ps. So the first P is prepare. So number one is know your ask. Know it is know exactly what it is you're looking to ask. Make sure it's exactly what you want and need. Understand the control dynamics and know who it is you're asking and make sure that that person has the power to respond to the ask and know what matters to that person if they're the ones in the control in the control seat and can pivot toward that ask in uh, in a positive way. And then also part of preparing is framing the ask accordingly, making sure that it is framed with respect to what matters to the, to the askee, the person you're asking, and then make sure that the timing and the circumstance is right. Don't just rush into an ask and blurt it out if the timing is wrong. You've got to kind of set it up properly. 
And also you might want to make sure you let that person know if they're in the control seat that you're going to be making an ask. Prepare them for the ask as well as you're preparing yourself. The next P is prioritize. Mm-hmm. So it's really important that you have a good idea, especially for big asks, that you prioritize what is truly most critical for you, what is going to be the game changer. And I think sometimes this also goes into the preparation. You don't prioritize accurately and you kind of scatter a whole lot of little asks and then you mm-hmm. follow that with a big ask. And then they're like, hey, you've been asking all these little asks. <laughs> you missed the boat. You're like, you can't come at me with this big ask now because I've just approved that or that or that or whatever. So it's really important that you avoid clutter and don't don't kind of start with a whole lot of small asks. Prioritize what's really important and save up for that big ask and then put all of your energy into that if it's something that's truly important. And let the other person, the person you're asking, know why it's important and what and, and how it's going to actually impact yourself and them and how it can actually be a win-win. That's and I the think next, the last part's mm-hmm. critical, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's really important to share that priority and have them understand why you've prioritized it in that way. The next P is practice. So I tell women it's kind of important to create a little posse of other women that you can practice things with. We generally, not only women, women, men deal with insecurity all the time. And when you're coming forward with a big ask, you don't want, you don't want the actual show, the performance to be where you're learning a lot of the lessons. Um, you will learn lessons during the show, but if you can practice it ahead of time and have others in a sort of a, um, pre-show or whatever it is, audition, if you may, have them give you feedback. Actually share what your ask is going to be. And not only that, share what you're going to say in order to build up to the ask and get feedback. What are they hearing? Are they hearing the way that you're prioritizing it and the way that you want it to prioritize role play with others? And also practice, what if have that other person come back to you and say no? What's your response going to be? Right, right. So it's really important to know your reaction ahead of time. I think sometimes women, um, myself included, a lot of people, maybe not just women, but women may have more of a tendency to feel like they may uh, be at a loss to control their emotions if a reaction isn't what they expect. And I think practicing that ahead of time, maintaining the demeanor and trying to, I don't want to say let go of emotion. It's important to tap into the emotions all the time, but feel as though they're in a position of control because that then reflects back on, on that self-confidence that I think will help them get to the ask. Wow. And then the very last P that I would suggest that women pay closest attention to and that we're not very good at is persist. Don't give up. Sometimes women raise an ask and it might kind of not go the way they want or they might raise like the first element of an ask, like kind of there's different steps on a ladder and they, they don't really get in the direction they want with that first step. So they, so they draw back. And it's so important to persist. Keep going at it. If it's something that's truly important to you and it's created in many cases, I'm sure, sleepless nights. And I think you've got you've to figure out a way to take hold of that ask and figure out a different path. Find a different way to get to that even if it's not what you anticipated in the beginning. Wow. Those are brilliant ideas, Marla. Thank you. So tell me about you personally. How have you negotiated in your personal life as you've grown your career, managing trade-offs between professional and personal priorities? 
Yeah, that's so difficult for everyone. Women, men, everyone, I think, has to figure out how they're going to prioritize their time mm-hmm. and deal with trade-offs. So I try very hard, maybe unsuccessfully, to not feel guilt. It's really, really hard. As I said, I've got two children. I have never, and um, forgive me for making this uh, this admission here on your podcast, I've <laughs> never gone on a school field trip. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, um, so talk about guilt. I can count the times I've volunteered at school on one hand, but I think it's really important that you have this relationship with your family, your loved ones that may be part of that trade-off process, that you even talk about quality over quantity of time. And with my kids, I try to have quality time. Uh, I recognize that my professional life offers a positive example to them. And I look back, my mom was an entrepreneur and kind of came home late and, and traveled a lot. And I look back now as a professional and realize how proud I am of her. And I can't, I can't believe what she accomplished as an entrepreneur, you know, kind of making her way in, in the early 80s and, and growing a business and doing really well. There's other things that I do to try to manage trade-offs. I, I try not to work in weekends. I get involved in their activities as much as I can then. And this is a, a really critical one that I talk to women about. It's important to talk to your partner and those who are fortunate enough to have a supportive partner to share the balance of duties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is something that we don't all do very well. In my own experience, that has evolved over time. And it has uh, really facilitated the type of comfort with those trade-offs that I now feel like, okay, if I need to travel for work, I, I know that my partner has uh, a good sense of what he needs to do to, to manage all of the priorities at home. Also, I think it's really, really important to take care of yourself, exercise regularly, make sure that your well-being is a priority that you don't skip out on, uh, and take advantage of less busy times to do the things that are, are really going to be those quality-focused quality points that uh, that your family needs. So travel, focus on everything that needs attention. And one thing that I'm really not good at, unfortunately, but I suggest that people try to be good at it is get some downtime where you're not doing very much at all. I try to be productive all the time. That's uh, that's a trade-off I haven't yet mastered, but uh, <laughs> uh, we'll get there. <laughs> that's why we have vacations. That's why we have vacations and weekends to kind of have that goof off, goof off time built into our lives. Yes, exactly. Well, Marla, your content is exceptionally powerful. I hope that the people listening to this show can take it and listen to it and listen to it again and apply it in their lives. And I'll be seeing you in December at Susan Freeman's event on December 5th in San Francisco. And I saw that you're going to be speaking about uh, your topic is your elevator to the top doesn't have to go straight up. So it'll be great to see you and meet you in person and hear about that. And we'll put your link to your LinkedIn and also to GemStep on the show notes but tell me a little bit about what your role is at your company and what your company does. Oh, great. And thank you, Scott. I look forward to meeting you as well. My uh, role is I am the VP of Strategic Partnerships at GemStep. And GemStep is a digital advice platform. We're a B2B2C software as a service company. And we are helping financial institutions support their, their end clients with goal-based digital advice flows. So we're helping them with very efficient paths to investment advice so that they can achieve their financial goals. That's great. 
We'll definitely put a link to that on the show notes and and then also a link to the event. And if you're listening to this and you don't know what that is, you can go to freemanmeansbusiness.com and click on events. And it's December 5th, 2019 in San Francisco. It's called Empowered Women, Empower Men and Women in Business. And it has a, a Dr. Deborah Tannen, who's speaking and several other experts talking about those issues of women in the workforce, especially within legal. And so thanks so much for joining me, Marla. It's, it's great. I hope to have you on the show again. And I look forward to seeing you in person in December in San Francisco. Likewise, Scott. Thank you so much. I look forward to meeting you. Thanks for joining me. And if you have ideas or recommendations for this podcast, please email me at scott at attorneysearchgroup.com. For more information about the Attorney Search Group and the services I offer as a sports agent for partners who want to find a better platform, visit me on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.